our Manage Self, Lead Others podcast. And my name is Nina Sunday. And in this episode, we're joined by our Melbourne-based facilitator and leadership expert, Kirk Fisher. Welcome, Kirk. Thank you, Nina. Thank you, everybody, for coming uh, this well, what's here in Melbourne is a very cold, um, cold afternoon. Uh, um, this is a topic that I'm really interested in. I've been involved with moving things online for the last seven years, and it's been a very interesting process all along, but particularly now. Uh, when online learning, I uh, do a lot of work with facilitation and uh, working with leadership around Australia and, and uh, further. Uh, and as we start first started to move online uh, for very practical reasons, there was a lot of uh, pushback, you know, it can't be done, it can't be done well, it's going to make people into sort of like little square boxes and so forth. And over this time, I've just been amazed to see how well uh, online learning can work, what potential it has, and particularly right now, if we are managers or leaders, we have tended to have this sense of set and forget about how, you know, when before the coronavirus hit, there was, may have been a sense of set and forget about how management was supposed to work. We had best practices. We had uh, certain, you know, ways that we've been doing things. Right now, though, that's all out the window. There's no way that we can continue to do things as we've always done them before. And more than just translating what we've done face-to-face -face and in an office, uh, this is a chance to do something really brilliant and to see that there's uh, a lot of potential to, to surpass even, I, I would say, a lot of the things that we could do face-to-face -face, uh, now that we're doing things remotely and, and stirring the pot as we're, uh, of, of more possibilities. And what's so, happening, Kirk, is the, um, there is the research starting to come through now that's indicating exactly what differences people want to see of, of a permanent nature. And yeah. it really is up to um, it really is up to employers to listen to that because it's not about employers saying, "Well, we're just going to go back the way it used to be." That's so, right. um, and so, of course, one of the, um, the recent studies is this Gallup study that talked about what people want managers to do and also the mistakes people are making. So, our topic is what mistakes are managers making. So, where do you want to start, Kirk? <laughs> <laughs> Well, just could I just highlight what you something you just said there, Nina? Uh, just how important management is. Management and leadership uh, in that study that you mentioned, the Gallup uh, Workplace uh, study, uh, management and leadership accounts for about seventy percent of the variability uh, that uh, that in terms of people's engagement. A lot of this, uh, what the manager and leader uh, is doing, is helping to affect the, the people's sense of purpose, uh, people's sense of steadiness, that things are going to be okay. But there are particularly five things that were mentioned in that poll uh, that basically boil down to, to, can I do this and will I do this? But taking it a little bit more, yeah, you're holding it up there, great. Yeah. Um, taking it down into a little bit more detail, there's five traits or five factors that if managers are addressing these, uh, it dramatically impacts on how well people are engaged. Um, and these are also important to, if we're talking about leadership development courses and so forth. Uh, a lot of leadership courses don't address these and uh, have a very small impact on, on teams. So this is not only important for managers and leaders to do, but also if we're looking at how we're going to develop our team in general, we need to be looking at those fi five factors. 
Should I uh, just mention, uh, go through yeah. them or? Yes, yeah. well, the first one is clear expectations. Yes, people know what, what's expected of them. They can, they, and there's not just being told, they're not just receiving an email about it, but they uh, have it modeled for them. They can see it in their mind's eye. Uh, it's embodied by those around them and it's constantly clarified by feedback and, and uh, and uh, it brought up in meetings and so forth. That's a really key thing uh, for people to have. And wouldn't it be more than just telling them what you want them to do, giving them a little bit of mentoring guidance into in how they might achieve it? Now, of course, that's without being too prescriptive and saying you have to do it my way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But for example, I've, I, I do remember there was a, um, a sales team where the uh, sales manager said, Hey guys, you just got to sell more. <laughs> it's like, hang on, why don't you have a meeting about what their issues are and maybe help them problem solve? Because obviously, if they're not selling more, then maybe there are some obstacles or constraints that they're not dealing with, and you need to actually brainstorm and come up with some fresh suggestions. Yes, That's collaboration. Yeah, and if, particularly Nina, if you're talking about moving from a compliance mentality where people just do what they're told versus uh, a results-oriented mentality or a place where people are actually engaged, uh, that's not a skill that people automatically have. And it's not a skill that a lot of organizations automatically have. So if we're always talking about the results and engaging people in more of a growth mindset around what are some other ways we can achieve these results? What are some experiments, we, safe to fail experiments we can be doing around the edges, but always keeping the, 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 um, the outcomes in mind and the results we're trying to achieve in mind, that, that can be a really important part of management. But we're actually talking more about leadership at that point, but yes, same idea. Yeah. The, um, one, of the, one of the suggestions that um, was in one of our earlier episodes was that if you are an authoritarian manager uh, and treat your children, <laughs> no, treat <laughs> like they are children, they good, will good be mistake. like children, they won't think for themselves. If you want people to problem solve, you have to treat them like adults and uh, give them the perception of choice and you're there to guide them, not to issue orders. That's so right. if, is that one of the mistakes that managers some managers have, they just issue orders and they're not actually uh, accepting or even inviting feedback. Yes, well, one of the big things that um, uh, come, came out was also a sense of purpose that, uh, that we're doing something important. My job is important, you know, uh, from the Blues Brothers, we're on a mission from God, you know, kind of thing. That fervor is a really important part of the motivation for a person to take on responsibility in an engagement level, to do the right thing when no one's looking, to daydream about their job, to look for small ways to improve it and so forth. If you feel that purpose, that's going to be one of the key motivations. But the other part of it too, is that they can see that they have the skills or strengths to do their job. And this can be not only looked at in terms of what kinds of training do they need? What kind of mentoring or coaching do they need? But also has the manager sat down and listened to them, gotten to know them and get a sense of where their strengths are and wherever possible uh, guided their portfolio or guided their job in line with those strengths. That can be, that's another one of those, uh, these, those two things, purpose and having the skills or strengths to do their job are two of the other things that uh, are mentioned as a key elements of um, uh, managing and engaging. 
that's almost a really easy conversation to have because I remember when I had some uh, uh, staff members, I, just as a, as a collaborative exercise, we actually mapped out every single task that was part of her job description and then just put a rating against it. Which do you prefer? Which would you rather hand off? With no promise that we could. And it was a very simple, easy uh, thing to actually take the things that she uh, disliked the most doing mm -hmm. and to actually hand that off or restructure the task to someone else who actually said, oh, I'd love to do that. Yes. So you actually re restructure the role to their preferences where possible. It mm -hmm. doesn't, just because you ask the question doesn't mean that you have to comply with everything, but maybe there's one thing that is irking them that could yes. easily be handed off to someone else. Yes, yes. And when a person feels that level of choice and that, that, that level of being listened to, uh, that's one of the just intrinsic motivators that people have in, you know, in their workplaces. I remember early on in my career, I love writing and, and developing things. And so my manager, I had certain I had 10 things I had to do for my job, but he added a little bit time so that I could create and edit the newsletter for the company. That was something that I really loved to do. That became part of my portfolio. And that I remember had a great sense of motivation for me and made me feel like I was co-owner uh, of the company as, as we would like people to have a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's a wonderful thing uh, that people can actually say they were interested in continuous improvement. If, they have, if they're the sort of person that is an ideas person and they want to make those suggestions to actually create the opportunity for them to actually work on it, maybe setting up a Kaizen board, uh, yes. you can see those on the, uh, on the net, where uh, people make suggestions and then someone who's keen to follow that up will actually, um, you know, get, drive that through the organisation, you know, work yes. out the most actionable items. Mm -hmm. um, with, There's a... Yeah. There was a final one. I just uh, where we started off talking about those five things. We've yes. mentioned four of them. You know, they they know it's expected. They have um, the skills or strengths to do their job. There's a sense of purpose. Another one is, and often I hadn't thought of this before. I saw the study. They have the resources they need. That uh, and this is particularly even more important right now when we're talking about online learning. People having to set up a home office all of a sudden. Do they have the internet, microphones, cameras? Those are the kinds of things. It, it's almost a little bit of a hygiene factor right there that we need that in place. But it is a really big detraction. People are always you know, having, their, having to struggle with their equipment. And sometimes that's another big thing we can be offering people right now. You, you mentioned that sometimes managers spend their, when, when they're managing people working remotely, that all of their communication is to the group. How important is it that managers should actually set up times for one-on-one -on -one conversations with their direct reports? Oh, ever more important. Um, uh, right now, uh, when, with people working from home, a lot of the day-to-day -day communication we used to have when we were in an office is gone. And that can have a lot of effects, including a sense of worry and perhaps uh, uh, people not really being sure you know, that they know what's going on. So, you know, if you used to have uh, feedback sessions or communication sessions once a month, you should be doing it once a week. If you've been checking with people once a week, you might consider every other day. But this is even more important right now and uh, even more important both because it's a crisis, but also because people are uh, working remotely, that you increase the level of communication and 
as we may need to end up talking a bit more about feedback, we increase the level of feedback uh, and, and particular type of feedback, strengths-based feedback in terms of uh, helping people to have a sense of alleviating worry, having, getting, giving them feedback about their, their role, but also allowing them to be giving feedback. And uh, we can expand on that if you'd like. Uh, well, there's that. a few issues there. One of the things that is uh, coming out is that people are actually working longer hours working from home. Yes, yes. Uh, it could be that they, you know, they're overcompensating in order to not uh, come across as slacking off, you know, not yeah. working. They're actually, you know, answering emails way into the evening just because they came in or, or, you know, just not taking a lunch break when really we're more productive if we to do take frequent short breaks. In fact, the recent research is that you should take three minutes, you should move around the office for three minutes every 30 minutes at least. And if you're just sitting still at your desk, you know, you're, you're actually being counterproductive. So any thoughts on how to avoid burnout and, um, and are managers actually unwittingly giving the impression that, you know, people should be having their lunch at their desk or uh, or they, you know, they have to have total focus and can't have a short break. <laughs> well, there's there's a, a number of uh, things in that, and one of them is the need to, you know, uh, have a, a, a daily schedule. And so, one of the things that I think managers and and people who are allies to each other in the workplace um, uh, can help with is setting up, you know, a sense of reasonableness and uh, the division. Um, I, I'm wearing a blazer right now. I'm going to work right now. You know that that sense of like now this is this time here is this. I'm tell my uh, the people in my family. I'm in my caravan now where I'm working right now, and <laughs> and uh, people know not to disturb me because dad's at work right yeah. now. And yeah. so having that distinguishment, and, and at five o'clock I I leave and I go into the house, and it's a different it's a very different story. Having those sort of structures can be really helpful. I wanted to add to that, though, that, you know, beyond the manager, one of the, the fifth of the factors that we were talking about is that sense of relationship, is that I have people alongside of me that know me, that I know them, they're co-committed with me to a common goal, or co-committed with me to a sense of excellence and outstanding uh, work, uh, and my status in the team, you know, we are biological creatures, and having a sense of status and belonging to a tribe is a very, very inbuilt uh, factor in who, who we are and how we feel about our work. So that when, that, when that is there, along with those other four factors that I mentioned earlier, people will be about three times more, triple the level of engagement and sense of this is good work and I can do it, according to that Gallup poll that we were mentioning before. So this is a really key thing for us to be including with this as well. How do we feel a sense of tribal community about what we do? I do know with some organizations that I've worked with, managers see having one-on-ones with their staff as part of their job, not an interruption to their real work, which is operational efficiency. Mm. You to be an high EQ manager these days, you have to embrace the fact that the people skills and spending time with the people um, so they, especially at this time of worry, so they feel calm and relaxed and happy and able to do a good job and not be suffering from stress that can have ramifications after weeks and months 
of daily stress and worry. Yeah, ever again, this is so much more important now than it was before we all were, started working remotely. It was always important. Feedback is one of the most, having feedback and regular conversations and support and so forth is one of the most important things managers can do. And we've known this forever, but particularly now this is uh, uh, more important. And with, with that quality, regular feedback, uh, people are, th again, three times more likely to be motivated and be engaged. Well, the, here's some statistics from the Gallup poll that we were t talking about before. Um, if you ignore performance, about 2% of the people will be actually engaged, not just compliant, but only 2% will be engaged. If you focus on the negatives and try and correct, you know, look at what they're doing wrong and give them feedback to improve their performance, about 45% will be engaged. If you take a, a, a strength base, focusing on the positives and how to develop opportunities for them to grow. Uh, it goes dramatically up from there, somewhere, somewhere around 61 to, I've heard even higher than that, in terms of how that, the impact of it focusing on the positives. And it's not that you need to be uh, sitting down and asking them to, you know, you're not gonna be an executive coach, but having that coach-like understanding of how people work, uh, a continuous flow of communication, a continuous uh, uh, flow of feedback, and also just establishing that connection, know it's, knowing what's going on in their lives and so forth. Now we've got a couple of questions come in, uh, Kirk, so I'll, I'll yes. ask the first one. Helen asks, how do you manage and lead those who are resistant to the offer of support? When I offer something and get thanks, but no thanks, I don't need help or mm. support. What's driving mm. that? Well, it would, it's an interesting question because uh, one of the things that we want to look at is what kind of relationship has been happening so far, not only with them to you, but inside of the workplace. Uh, this might be an opportunity to start looking at the overall sense of culture that you have and increasing the levels, not only in terms of managerial types of communication with people, but I've seen lots of people uh, try things like, um, you know, let's just have lunch together on Zoom on, on a Friday, You've, virtual drinks is, is all over the place, that kind of thing. Or uh, uh, um, setting up a sense of uh, allies inside the team so that people connecting with each other as well, so that they see that there's, uh, that the workplace is not just a place of dry accountability. Accountability is really important, but uh, it's also a place where people are actually connecting as people and making that part of the culture Another question has come in. Um, wondering about your opinion on managing uh, working at home when the setup doesn't allow for separation from others in the home. Yes, that's difficult. Um, <laughs> uh, You've got a I caravan think, in the I've, Yeah, I, I moved, I have a little caravan in my backyard just to get away from the <laughs> dogs and children. And what is the silver lining in COVID? Where do, where do, where do you find hope? In all of this? We have been going along with, as I said, with things as they were. And this is a fantastic opportunity to reinvent uh, what we do and how we do it. There's so many opportunities. One of the things that's really come out for me is uh, working like I used to do a lot of one day workshops. And there's a lot of great things about being able to spend a day together. But often that was a largely a convenience of scheduling to set it aside for one day. It's much more powerful now to take that one day, that thing that you're going to do for one day together and split it up into two or three hour and a half sessions. 
there's not only is it more efficient in terms of people's time and they can access it and there's less travel to stay in hotels and so forth, but also there's six times the level of activities that come out of a workshop that's split up into little um, sections like that, rather than standing, spending a whole day uh, trying to translate it. So this is a time where we're not just translating what we did before, but to really look at what's, what's brilliant, what's new, what's opportunities to have more efficient meetings, to record our meetings. And going back to the importance of, um, as a manager, having high emotional intelligence, how, to what degree can, a manager who perhaps is low in EQ develop that capacity? How do they improve their EQ? Oh, there's some great things we can be doing around this. The, the EQ comes down to basically four things and the, in the form that comes from Daniel Goleman. There's the rum model from the people before him, but um, uh, it, you know, understanding yourself and managing yourself, understanding others and managing others. So in terms, it starts really with understanding yourself as the key basics. And so this is something that you can do with coaching, is something you can do with, you know, developing and journaling exercises. Uh, there's a number of different ways that you can start to develop and, and make what's implicit explicit about your understanding of who you are. It's about reflection and observation because yes. someone with high emotional intelligence will have a verbal interaction and say it didn't go so well. Mm. They might actually spend time thinking, what might I have said differently? Or yeah. what was I picking up? Whereas someone with low EQ would just go, oh, that didn't go well and just keep moving. <laughs> so, so feedback is a very important part of this process because we, we aren't very good judges of our own abilities around yes. EQ. And feedback and coaching, this is really key for us if we're going to actually develop around this. Uh, we can't just do it on our own. With, with emotional intelligence, I recently... Um, saw someone being interviewed on television and said, well, I, I uh, was a police officer and I learned to read people. And when I heard that, I went, well, there you go. There's an example of someone that, that learned how to read people, which is a high emotionally intelligent skill. Mm -hmm. And it's about managers saying, well, reading people and reading their nonverbal cues or their nonverbal responses, whether they are engaged with their eyes or engaged with their expression and not just ignoring it. So it's mm -hmm. something that people can choose to bring up their, their level of skill in that area. Would you agree? And, and I, it just highlights the importance of one-on-one -on -one meetings with people. I love telling the story that I had one time, I was, it was a face-to-face -face workshop and I had this person in the, in the audience who was staring at me, she had a very bitter, twisted look on her face. And all through the you know, morning, she wasn't responding, but she was just almost glaring at me. I said, boy, this is really going wrong for her. So during the lunchtime, I came up to her and said, you know, how's it going today? She was, and she kept the same expression on her face. She was, this is fantastic. This is the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> I just couldn't read her face because she, you know, it really does often take some, uh, the one-on-one -on -one relationship to find out we can't make assumptions based on some of these things. At the same time, it w in, in that situation, it wasn't up to you to give feedback, but perhaps that person could learn that sometimes my expression yes. communicating yeah. a message that may not be uh, matching what I'm actually wanting to communicate. That's right. So that's yeah. also about uh, being aware of the message that you're sending with your body language. Yes, that's right. <laughs> that's some of the things we teach, you know, especially in customer service, you know, say in a hospitality situation, 
if you're giving instructions, you can't smoke there, you have to smoke there, but you're standing with your hands on your hips. <laughs> what sort of a vicious sort of um, One final question, and it relates to the growth mindset, fixed mindset. Is there a certain type of personality that is thriving in, uh, working, in working from home as opposed to others that just, they're, they're pulling their hair out because they really can't stand it? Hmm. It's a good question. I don't know of any research around that. I've been really interested in looking at, though, um, how uh, there's practices around this that we can do so that no matter what your type of personality, there's something you can do to improve it. And so those five factors we talked about before, you know, connecting more. But basically, the main idea is if, if you those communication, connection, uh, feedback, those factors, if you've been doing it a little bit, now you need to do it a lot. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and find some structures or strategy to make sure that you're doing it, not relying on your just automatic type of default way of thinking. So if you used to communicate uh, you know, regularly once a month or so, find a way to do it weekly and try and find some way to do it in real time. So like I'm part of one group of people working together, we use Slack. And that's automatically any time anybody does something, it shows on, up on Slack. And that way I know it's, I have a sense of what's going on with the rest of the members of my team. And what, what uh, the research is showing is that some people are saying they're forgetting how, they do, how to do their job because of the daily stress. It actually creates amnesia. So mm -hmm. we have to be aware, we have to be light on people and not go, well, why, why can't you remember that? You used to do that so well. We have to be kind to each other mm -hmm. because we're all under this creeping unknown yes. that uh, we're, we're dealing with together. So we're part of a, a point in history that people will be referring to for a long time, but we're actually living it. One of the people that I, uh, one of the teams that I've been, uh, that I've been coaching a manager for a team. And one of the things that she did was she, uh, she was thinking about how can we help people to engage with each other more the way they used to in the office. And so she certainly is reaching out to people that she thinks are struggling, but she asked each of them too, like find two or three people and just connect with them on a regular basis. Uh, particularly not just your best friends in the workplace, but someone you think might be struggling. And asking people to, uh, another workplace that I was doing some work with, uh, they set up a soiree. So, uh, you know, at the end of the month, they people bring, you know, their harmonica, their ukulele, and they spend just like a fireside chat, but just sharing, you know, sort of talent hour over the Zoom. But just ways of connecting with people is, is help, helpful to have a sense of that tribe. I was wondering before, when you talked about growth mindset or fixed mindset, do you think growth mindset might see this as an opportunity, whereas fixed mindset go, oh, it was better before. When can we go back to how it was before? Do you think there's an element of that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A great a great question, you know, a great set of questions to ask is when, you know, there's an opportunity like this or what, what's difficult about this, sure, and what do we need to, you know, we have to manage the crisis part of it. But the other question is, what's interesting right now? What's something we haven't ever seen before? What's possible now? Oh, uh, it, it, and, and having that sort of sense of curiosity and making that a regular practice to, to notice what's interesting or what's something I can do different than I've done before. 
I really like that suggestion, Kirk, because I think that's a question that managers, they can actually be, um, be like a coach, like the manager, the manager of the future thinks and, and acts like a coach. Mm. That's a coaching question where mm. you're getting people to look at things that they perhaps were forgetting or not observing. Mm. So, mm -hmm. well, look, I'm, uh, it's it's always wonderful to listen to your wisdom, Kirk, because you <laughs> wisdom. always have a good angle on things. I'm going to close the meeting now. It's, thank you so much for joining us, everybody. And um, we'll have another live Q&A in the near future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.